I have with me on the phone Professor John Coyer, who is a clinical microbiologist at Glasgow Royal Infirmary in Scotland. John, welcome to this BMJ podcast. Hi. John, you're here to talk to us about MRSA, methicillin-resistant Staphylococcus aureus, and in particular, when we should be screening it and how. Now, we're focusing on hospital-associated MRSA, um, which is still very much a major problem. We know that it's transmitted through direct contact between staff, patients and the environment, and that screening is part of the usual strategy. John, tell us who we should be screening for MRSA in the first place. Well, I think, first of all, um, we really need to consider the the whole question, perhaps not only the question of screening, but the question of um, interventions in uh, the prevention of healthcare-associated infections, because there is an issue with regard to the evidence base, because often uh, interventions for uh, infection control purposes are... Um, understandably put in place as a kind of bundle of interventions and actually trying to tease out the specific contribution of components of those strategies uh, can be quite difficult. And it's certainly something we've been interested in for some time in Scotland. And there was a health technology assessment was carried out, which essentially did a modelling exercise to look at the impact that universal screening actually would have. And that suggested that universal, a universal screening approach would be cost-effective. However, before um, we went ahead with that in Scotland, um, we were successful in getting funding to look at a large-scale pilot project to actually look at um, the impact of this universal screening as opposed to taking a more targeted approach. And to cut a long story short... What that did show was that for Scotland, at any rate, having a targeted approach looking at high-risk units and also administering a simple um, three-question clinical risk assessment to patients and uh, screening on the basis of the outcome of that was actually as effective in detecting MRSA as was screening everyone on admission. And indeed, that was the practice that was adopted in Scotland. And when should we be screening for MRSA? Well, the high-risk specialties um, we found were particularly the intensive care units, not surprisingly, orthopaedics, renal medicine, vascular surgery and cardiothoracic surgery. And these are really a kind of, it's a kind of mix, a combination of either the uh, frequency with which MRSA may be found in the patients in these groups because perhaps they have frequent hospital readmissions or also because of the potential consequences if you don't detect uh, uh, MRSA in these patients and they do develop uh, an infection subsequently. However, um, your mileage will vary, I think, uh, depending on your particular healthcare setting as to what exactly your own priority areas may be. And I would stress that this approach was only evaluated in a study in the Scottish healthcare system. In determining clinical risk assessment, you, you mentioned specific questions. What might these be? Well, the the clinical risk assessment which we found to be useful to target screening in Scotland was to ask 
first of all, the obvious one, has the patient any history of MRSA colonisation or infection at any time? Because um, perhaps surprisingly, um, if notes are not available or it's not been documented, the patient themselves may well know that they have been told in the past, oh, you've got MRSA. So that was the first question. The other thing we asked was, has the patient been admitted uh, from somewhere other than their own home? Because we were able to show that if you were coming from another healthcare establishment um, or long-term care facility, then you were more likely to be MRSA positive. And that's been shown in a number of studies. And the other thing was, does the patient have a wound or ulcer or any indwelling medical device uh, that was present before admission to hospital? And that will be a kind again, that that will probably be a a multifactorial thing because uh, we know that broken skin is more likely to become colonised than intact skin. But equally, um, this will reflect that there have been other medical interventions and, of course, contact with other uh, medical facilities is a a potential risk factor for colonisation. And presumably things will vary according to population and and the type of bugs around the epidemiology of the Indeed. Yeah. Um, You've described quite a broad spectrum of of patients uh, who could potentially be covered. When is the best time to screen for MRSA? I think in terms of when you do it, I mean, the, the, the point of doing any screening exercise is that there is going to be some intervention. You're going to do something with the results. And if, for example, you're talking about um, screening patients preoperatively, you want to have those results back in a time scale that's going to allow you to apply uh, your intervention. Um, So ideally, you want to do it such that you will have time to uh, attempt a a decolonisation of the patient. Some people don't like the word decolonisation, but regardless of the the semantics of that, it is to put some intervention in place that will reduce the burden, the level of MRSA that patient is carrying at the time they have their operation. Failing that, and if uh, the patient presents late or doesn't, for some reason the screening was not uh, done when you would have liked it to be done, then um, really uh, as soon as possible, ideally before the procedure, um, and you can then have the decolonisation or the suppression uh, therapy ongoing while the patient's actually admitted for the procedure. Mm, Because there will be instances such as for an emergency admission where there just isn't the time, is there? No, indeed. And uh, in that circumstance, then you may change your antibiotic prophylaxis to ensure that you cover that possibility. Or, as I said, even if the screening is done late, but still uh, sufficiently in time so that you've at least got the result back before the the patient undergoes the procedure, you can still be giving topical um, decolonisation, thus keeping the level of MRSA low. Uh, at the time that the procedure actually takes place. Mm. And what sites should we be swabbing for MRSA? Again, um, this was uh, one of the uh, interesting things that's been looked at in a number of studies, and I think the the consensus is really coming out is the importance 
of the, the nasal swab. I mean, in most people who carry staph aureus of any variety, the, the, the nose is the primary uh, place the organism will be carried. However, if you only use a nasal swab, then um, you'll only pick up about two-thirds of your MRSA carriers. However, if you add um, a second swab to that, then you can increase that. And what the mo- probably the most effective is a combination of the nose and either um, the perineum or the throat. And if you do that, then you will detect over 80% of those who are colonised with MRSA. And if you go beyond using the two swabs, you get into a bit of a diminishing return situation in terms of the additional the additional carriers you will actually pick up. Now, as you say, the whole point of screening is in order to be able to intervene to make a difference. What do we do if the swab then returns and, and you find the patient is MRSA positive? The decolonisation regimes um, are fairly well established now. Um, the cornerstone is the use of a topical antiseptic agent, nasal mupiracin, um, and that's simply applied to the uh, nose uh, three times a day for five days. Uh, we combine this with topical disinfection of the skin and again the agent which is most commonly used is the topical disinfectant chlorhexidine and that is used as an antiseptic wash for five days concurrently with the use of the topical uh, mupiracin. Um, at the same time, the ideal practice is to have a changing of bed linen and towels uh, on a daily basis as well. Um, because, and this is to do with the shedding of the organism from the patient. But clearly that uh, does impose a significant additional burden, particularly if the patient is undertaking uh, this decolonisation in their own home environment. And what's the role of isolation in all of this? If the patient, uh, say, is in in intensive care and um, so there hasn't been that time uh, away from the hospital to undergo decolonisation or suppression procedures? Isolation has certainly been shown to uh, have a role in um, preventing uh, further spread of MRSA. Um, although it is, in, it is interesting in the ITU setting, there have there have been some conflicting data on that. But it's it's certainly in most uh, guidelines for the management of MRSA, they recommend the use uh, of isolation to help to prevent um, spread. Some of that, of course, will be simply reinforcing in the minds of staff that, you know, to be, you know, if you're going into that room, if you're dealing with that patient, to ensure that they are using the appropriate other infection control measures and particularly reinforcing their hand hygiene, perhaps. But having said that, there there is. Uh, there is also um, beyond that a benefit simply in terms of helping to stop the spread uh, perhaps on skin squames etc of the organism so I think there's probably it's probably a a multifaceted benefit um, from the use of isolation. Mm, Okay Um, now now having undergone the decolonisation or, or suppression procedures. Do we need to check that they've become clear of MRSA? Do we need to repeat swabs? Again, this is actually quite a controversial area. 
So, um, you know, the, the, the routine types of advice tend to be to have either two or three follow-up screens, usually one week apart, and usually um, the first one being taken not sooner than uh, two days after the patient has finished their last um, part of the decolonization treatment. But that the, the actual uh, basis for those recommendations is fairly weak. Um, the other thing we do know is that uh, a lot of patients um, who ostensibly appear to be cleared, if you actually follow those patients up over a longer period of time, you will find that, um, for example, after about a year, you will find that um, you know, there will be a significant proportion of those patients, in fact, will be positive again. Now, what that reflects is... is difficult to tease out. Uh, some of it may simply be a reacquisition of the infection um, or fr from another source, or it may be that there is a persistence of low-level um, infection or colonization. And some people have suggested that uh, an important uh, place that the organism may be uh, colonizing is actually within the gut, and you may get low-level colonization with the gut. And if the patient subsequently has courses of antibiotic therapy or whatever, then you may find that the organism can reappear from this low-level colonisation. Mm. Okay, well, thank you for that very useful and concise summary of the how, the when and the why of, of MRSA screening.